fresh from a trip across the Sea of Galilee that led to the healing of a Gentile man, the so-called Gerizim demoniac, Jesus is faced with new challenges. Let's look at the three people who are at the center of this story within a story. The first person we encounter as Jesus returns to Galilee besides the crowd that gathers around him is a man named Jairus. He is a leader of the synagogue, a prominent and respected man in the community, a man of means and influence. The second person is Jairus's unnamed daughter. We're only told two things about her, that she is 12 years old and that she is dying. In other words, she is completely vulnerable, unable to help herself, unable to find help for herself. But she has a father who loves her and would do anything to save her. We know that kind of love, don't we? Regardless of our children's ages, if they are in need, we will do anything to help them, anything at all. And so it is with Jairus. His daughter is dying, and he is desperate, desperate enough to seek the help of a traveling rabbi with a reputation for healing. As Jairus approaches the crowd, respectfully lets him pass, and he falls at Jesus' feet, begging him over and over again to come and lay his hands on his daughter and thus save her. To his relief, Jesus immediately comes with him. Which brings us to the third person in this story, a woman in the crowd. Like Jairus' daughter, this woman is not named, but unlike Jairus, she is an outcast. Mark describes her situation with a string of participles that span three of our English verses. Mark Hoffman, Hoffman offers this more little translation. And a woman, having been bleeding for 12 years, and having suffered greatly from many physicians, and having spent all that she had, and having benefited not one bit, but rather having gone from bad to worse, having heard about Jesus, having come from the crowd from behind, touched his cloak. Either from personal experience or hearsay, we know what it is like to go from doctor to doctor, to undergo test after test, to try one procedure after another as our resources drain away. And in the first century, there was no safety net, no social agencies to help. But that's not all. What is not immediately obvious is that this woman's illness has made her ritually unclean, a condition that prevents her from participating in religious, community, and family life. Poverty-stricken, exhausted, and isolated, she is desperate desperate enough to seek the help of a traveling rabbi with a reputation for healing. But unlike Jairus, she does not approach Jesus directly. Instead, she gathers up what courage she has and telling herself over and over again, if I but touch his clothes, I will be well. If I but touch his clothes, I will be well. She works her way through the crowd that presses close to Jesus, and just for a moment, she grasps 
the edge of his cloak. And she is healed. Jesus stops. His progress toward Jairus' home and the dying child interrupted. He turns about in the crowd and asks, Who touched me? Who touched you? The astonished disciples say. Who has not touched you in this crowd? Ignoring his dubious disciples and an understandably impatient Jairus, Jesus persists. He knows that power has flowed out of him. And suddenly a woman emerges from the crowd, tears streaming down her face, and falls at his feet. Trembling with fear, she tells him the whole truth, the truth about her illness and how she had stolen a healing from him, even though she knew that touching him would render him also ritually unclean. Jesus listens. The crowd backs up. Jairus looks appalled, and the woman braces for the condemnation to come. But there is no condemnation. There is only compassion. Daughter, Jesus says to the woman. She looks up at him startled. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And yes, you are healed. What a gift Jesus gives to this woman. Physical healing and so much more. For by naming her daughter, Jesus welcomes her back into her community and into his family, naming her before everyone as worthy, as precious, as beloved. Freed from her illness, from her fear, from her isolation, this woman is indeed saved. And for the first time in 12 years, she is whole and at peace. But the story isn't over yet. For even as Jesus is speaking to the woman, messengers from Jairus' household come bearing bad news. Master, they say, your daughter has died. There's no need for the teacher to come. One daughter has been found. Another has been lost. Jesus is too late. His eyes spilling over with tears, Jairus turns to go, but Jesus quietly stops him. Do not fear, only believe. James Boyce suggested Jesus' words might be better translated as stop being afraid and go on living by faith. He's asking a lot, a lot of a father whose hopes have been dashed, but the man clings to his words. Sending the crowd away and taking just three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John's with him, Jesus goes to Jairus' home, where mourners are loudly weeping and wailing. When Jesus tells them that their grieving is way too premature, they laugh in his face. Sending everyone else outside, Jesus gathers his disciples and the parents in a healing circle around the child's bed. The room is quiet now, and Jesus is calm. Tenderly, he takes the girl's hand in his own, and speaking in Aramaic, he tells her, Little girl, rise up. 
little girl, rise up. And to the amazement of everyone in the room, the girl stands and begins to walk around tentatively at first and then eagerly. Her parents embrace her in their arms, weeping not in sorrow but in joy and wonder. Jesus laughs and then mindful of the girl's need, tells them to get her some food. He's not only restored the child to life, he has restored her family. Though the situation was hopeless, though others laughed, though he knew that touching someone who had died would also render him unclean, Jesus acts to save this beloved daughter, this girl soon to become a woman, to save her from death and give her and her family life anew. Oh, my friends, would that such a healing would come to everyone. Sadly, we all know that this is not so, that there are many who suffer, who are not cured, whose illness ends in death. And yet I think that this story within a story, this telling of the healing of a 12-year-old girl and a woman who suffered for as many years as that girl had lived, reminds us that healing comes in many forms. Surely the freeing of the woman from fear and shame was a kind of healing. Surely the release of the girl's parents from the weight of grief was a kind of healing. Surely bringing wholeness and peace and restoration was a kind of healing and salvation. For these stories remind us that salvation is much more than reserving a place in heaven. It is a relationship, a relationship with a God who seeks to save us from the power of sin and the fear of death and to save us for a life of joy and love and wholeness, to save us in this life as well as in the next. Jesus says, do not be afraid, only believe. And Barbara Brown Taylor says his words were not just for Jairus' benefit, but for all who suffer from the human condition, who are up against things that we cannot control. His words are words of hope for all of us. Most of all, I think that these healing stories show us who Jesus is and therefore who God is. Jesus responds to those in need, to those who are vulnerable, to those who are rejected by others with compassion and caring. It doesn't matter to him if they interrupt his plans, that he might be ridiculed, that he might endanger himself by touching someone that others consider unclean or unacceptable. Instead of shying away, he reaches out, inviting those who are experiencing loss, illness, and grief into a relationship of truth and trust and love. And he is willing to cross barriers and break boundaries to do that. The question is, are we? As Jesus followers, we know that we are called to respond to the vulnerable and needy with compassion. But these stories do more than just encourage us to offer a helping hand. 
They challenge us to see those who interrupt our comfortable existence and threaten our illusion of safety through the eyes of Christ. And in so doing, to discover that they too are God's beloved daughters and sons, our sisters and brothers. The stories invite us to dare to cross boundaries and break down barriers in order to share the love and grace of God. And they offer us the assurance, oh my friends, the great assurance that we can trust in a God who loves each one of us and calls us, names us, son and daughter and who seeks to bring healing, salvation, and joy into our lives, too. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen.